RTT 55. Double nickel. There we are. Hey, that's 55 episodes. That's a lot of us talking. It, it, it really is. Yeah. 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 See some podcasts with like episode 205, and you're like, wow. But 55 yeah. is a lot. It's a lot. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, if you've been listening, uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, staying on this journey with us. Uh, and, you know, this journey will take a little turn here. This is uh, Chad's last uh, time speaking this this uh, weekend at uh, Calvary. But we're going to continue this. We're going to uh, might be a slightly different uh, podcast because we're in different places. But we've been doing this remotely now uh, since the pandemic hit. So that's. Uh, our intention is to keep uh, to keep the podcast going, uh, and uh, you know we'll see where it takes us from there. But that's uh, that's our that's our ho- that's our hope. Yeah, uh, it, hopefully I don't pick up a big southern draw that makes it hard to. That'd be awesome. Me. That would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of hope, um, we are in First Thessalonians, and uh, you talked about hope, hope and love. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if you want to, I don't know, we'll set up a little background, little anything to get it started. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of questions, uh, for you, but I don't know if you want to, I don't know, kind of set the table a little bit or. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, me transitioning out of ministry here at Calvary, um, but still doing, you know, quote unquote ministry in the kingdom. And then reading uh, this section in Thessalonians and then kind of remembering how, how much Paul was on the move and I'm not really, you know, uh, on the move like he was, but he would meet people, they'd build relationships. And then I believe it was even Ephesus where they said goodbye with many tears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and how often he would build relationships and then just for the sake of his, his own mission have to go. But this section that we're in, uh, this week is really, he had to depart quickly from Thessalonica because of, uh, the pressure, uh, of Jewish persecution. And then they went before the officials in Acts 17 and they, they took, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy were staying at a guy named Jason's house. And, uh, uh, the Jews were jealous of, um, you know, the conversion to Christianity from, some of Paul's preaching. And so they go to Jason's house to, you know, rough Paul up or try to arrest him or get him in trouble. He's not there, but they take Jason and the believers out and, uh, they get thrown in jail. Well, they make bail that night, but because of that pressure, Paul and Silas and Timothy leave. And it's interesting because you, it's easy to dehumanize Paul uh, and think he's a superstar spiritual, you know, and he he obviously is ready to die for the gospel, but that doesn't mean he doesn't leave under persecution. Mm-hmm. And say, he's, not hey, try- he's not trying to get, die for the gospel. He's not he's not attempting to be a martyr. Right. But this but this part of the letter is really, hey, he left so quickly, um, and critics have arisen to try to discredit his message and his person, and so he's rewriting or he's writing to the Thessalonians to say, Hey, it was genuine. I'm the real deal. The gospel is the real deal. It's impacted me. And it's a genuine time that we had together. Don't get led astray. And I think it's that genuineness that instills hope, um, 
you know, when Christians are moving towards a genuine self and a genuine Christ imitation, not perfect, but moving that way, then that actually instills hope in the, in the listeners. Um, so that's kind of the big picture thought. Yeah, I think that's, it's interesting because hope in this case is, as you said, it's grounded in the, the authenticity of Paul in his motives and his message uh, and the realness of the transformation he sees in them. Uh, and I don't know that, um, I think that it's sometimes in Christian circles to sort of know the words and know the lingo and even make the arguments. Uh, but sometimes the, um, you know, the question, should this feel realer is, should this be realer? Uh, should it be more authentic? Uh, it, it arises. And so that sometimes the nature of doubt is uh, if this was real or it seems like I'd be different or you'd be different or we wouldn't have these, these problems. And, and so there's a sense in which the appeal of the gospel really is based on the fruits of the gospel and how people are transformed and changed and not sort of the arguments that argue for the truth of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like the, the people, I uh, believe this stretch of road, the uh, Thessalonica was almost named, uh, the capital of that area during that time. It still exists as Thessalonica today with a K mm-hmm. so is a, is a very important, uh, cultural center. Uh, and they would have had people traveling up and down their roads and highways preaching and teaching all the time. And they would have been, uh, genuine people and there would have been phonies mm-hmm. and the people who leveraged their position or their message for power or money or sex, uh, they would have, it would have shown over time. And so that's, that's even what Paul gets into in this middle section of this passage of, Hey, we worked, you know, that we worked for our own, uh, we provided for ourselves and you know, that we were blameless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our genuine motives and our genuine lives, uh, l- lived out before you that confirmed our message and not discredit it. Um, that's a powerful thing. I think that's, that's at least, at least an intriguing thing for people. Yeah, it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard to to argue against it or it's hard to, you know, gainsay it or gaslight it when it's just the fruit and it's not the argument. And I think that's, you know, he says, uh, this is First Thessalonians 2, uh, starting in verse 3, uh, especially, he says, you know, the appeal we made is based on truth. And you know, we might think, well, then here comes the, you know, the, the theological mathematical argument of why it's true, but instead it comes from a pure heart. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to trick you, um, that we're not trying to please people. We want to please God. We never praise you if we didn't mean it. 
we didn't put on a mask to cover up sinful desire, uh, which is, you know, not necessarily saying they never had sin- sinful desires, but they were truthful. Yeah. Um, you know, we were not expecting people to praise us. We were not looking for praise. Um, and so all of that comes from this pure motive that is not part of the theological argument, but it's a fruit that that the actual truth of the theology has taken hold and is making a transformation. And that seems like the whole, this whole section is, you know, that sort of, that's where Paul's coming from, that it's not, it's, it's the genuine nature of who we are because of the gospel is what we came to you with. And that's the proof that it was genuine and motivated from a right spot. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, St. Francis of Assisi's uh, quote, famous quote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Um, And obviously that's an imbalanced quote because part of the gospel is the message. But I think what he's saying is true. Um, It's a transformed life that people read the most and people respond to the most. And, you know, I think what Paul's saying here is important to kind of nuance is he's not saying that he doesn't have a sinful heart. And he's not saying that all of his motives are pure. What he's saying is, it it reminds me of a passage in Corinthians, we didn't peddle the gospel. We're not using this for our resume or our reputation or to um, get ego strokes from you. Um, And so with that sense, our our ministry of the gospel had pure motives. It doesn't mean we're blameless, um, perfect, but our ministry for the gospel, um, you know, contemporary illustration. Um, I remember a story from Brendan Manning and he had met with a young seminarian who just finished his doctorate. And he said, well, what would you like to do? And the young, young man said, I want to have an international ministry like yours. And Brendan looked at him and said, you just disqualified yourself for gospel ministry Mm. because it's not about you and the platform and what type of reputation you get. It's, it's about Mm -hmm. serving. It's about Mm -hmm. sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think there's, uh, you know, the moment I suspect somebody wants some sort of career advancement in ministry, um, is the moment you begin to worry that Mm -hmm. that's going to be the motivating factor. Uh, and you know, that's what, you know, he, Paul is saying in this passage that, Hey, we're, he said, I think it's in, in verse six, you know, Hey, we were, we're apostles. We could have just, we could have used our authority over you, mm-hmm. uh, but we weren't, we were like, we mothered you, we cared for you. We loved you. We shared our lives with you. Uh, we labored, uh, we didn't, at, you know, we didn't ask you to support us as we could because we're apostles. We worked for our own, you know, uh, expenses and, you know, living. And you are witnesses of how we lived uh, among you. And I think that's, and God is also witnesses. Uh, and I think that's an interesting, I mean, it's, it's an obvious thing in a sense, but I don't know that we live often as if the life that we lead is that other people are witnesses of the genuineness of our transformation, the genuineness of our love, the genuineness of grace. Um, to say, I believe in the doctrine of grace is one thing to be a person of grace and to demonstrate it is another. 
the second one typically costs you something, mm-hmm. right? The, the second one means you're others oriented, you're living for others and for God in such a way that, uh, you know, to actually be gracious means you're, you're granting to someone something they, they didn't deserve, or maybe it's the opposite of, you know, you're, you're granting them grace, forgiveness, and love when they've earned the opposite. And that usually costs you something. And I think that's when we get very sort of rights-based, I think. And I think that's one of the, one of the passages, one of the translations is, uh, you know, we could have insisted on our rights. Mm-hmm. Instead, we did this. Instead, we mothered you. Instead, we cared for you. Uh, and I think in our cult, in America, we're very much, uh, it's in the cultural water to insist on our rights. And we'll, we have to be transformed away from, yeah, but this isn't really about my rights. Yes, I could. I have the right to this, but I'm going to relinquish that for your sake. And I'm going to grant you something that is difficult, that costs me something, that makes me uncomfortable, that whatever it might be. Why do you think we we have that mentality? Is that a cultural thing? Is it a sin, a human thing? Is it a Western thing? Just like, I do think that's true. We're really concerned with protecting uh, our rights, individual rights. And yeah. yeah, I think it's all of those things. Uh, I think it's in, it is a cultural thing. It's a Western thing. It's a sinful thing in that, you know, anything can be made sinful, but it's not sinful to have rights. It's not sinful to claim your rights against, let's say, the uh, the uh, overreaching of the government or, right, right, right. you know, it's you know, to decry, uh, you know, unjust imprisonment would be my rights as a citizen are this. Uh, and that's, I think, well and good. And, you know, we are endowed by you know, certain unalienable rights is written into the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it's just that we take that thing and then we extend it to, you know, you have no right to say that or you have no right to make that claim or you have no right to expect me to when maybe, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's kind of what Paul's saying here, that you didn't have the right to expect that we would mother you and care for you and love you and work for our own expenses. But it's not about rights. It's about loving you and demonstrating the hope of the gospel. And and when we do that, we lay some rights down. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for I think for us, because we have rights politically, uh, in our culture and it's sort of in, in, the, in the water that we swim in and the air we breathe, it's difficult for us not to translate into, you have no right to do that, say that, which may be true, but irrelevant if we're going to live out the gospel. Because we can, if we're going to insist on our rights all the time, it's going to be hard for us to live out the gospel. At some point, we're going to have to relinquish something that we have a right to, to have. Yeah, and I think that's what that's the countercultural piece of the gospel and of what Paul said, which was true. These traveling teachers and uh, communicators could have said, "Hey, we're laboring amongst you. We would like for you to provide for our uh, needs." Uh, but he said, 
but the countercultural move is, but we didn't want anything. We didn't want any obstacle. We want to remove all obstacles mm-hmm. to the message. And I think, I don't know if, if we're not careful as the church, I think the mentality can creep into, well, you, the obstacles are your problem, not mine. And, right. You're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. And I'm right. And that's, it's, I think that's kind of, that's what I'm, you know, the, the point I'm trying to make or laboring to make is they may be wrong and you may be right, but you need to lay that down. Um, in, in, in this case, you know, by rights, Paul could have insisted on things he did not insist on. And he could have said, you know, if you're, if you're objecting to this, you're wrong and I'm right. This is the whole point. Um, he laid that down. We could have used our authority. We could have insisted on our rights. But we didn't for a reason. We didn't because we wanted to mother you. And, he, you know, he uses uh, in, you know, 7 through 12 in this first Corinthians 2, he uses a bunch of different, you know, uh, we were like young children. As a mother cares for her ch- children, we cared for you. We, you know, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, that we treated you as a father treats his own children. You know, he's, he, 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 we gave you hope. We gave you strength. Uh, we lived among you in a way that was blameless. We comforted you. You know, he's using all these metaphors, these family metaphors, yeah. to say, instead of just insisting on what we could have by rights, we laid all that down for, for your, to, in order to love you, in that order to have nothing stand in the way of a demonstration of love and care. Um, and I think, I don't, I mean, I <clears throat> tiptoe into this next point, or this application of this point <laughs> lightly, but I do think this is sort of where we are with the mask wearing mm-hmm. uh, in America, in I do think we, let's say, we may find out that wearing masks was superfluous. Didn't have to do it. Um, didn't really, uh, didn't really work much against the spread of the virus. Um, or we, whatever, or we, whatever the reason that people object to the wearing of masks, we might find out, oh, you know what? They were right. Um, okay. But that's not the point. Right. right now, a lot of people believe that if you're not wearing a mask in their presence, you don't care for them. So instead of trying to convince them that you have the right not to wear a mask, which, I mean, in a sense, I, I think we extend those, as we said before, we extend those rights farther than an individual store obviously can ask their customers to put a shirt on, to put shoes on, to put a mask on. They can do whatever mm-hmm. they want. And you have the freedom to shop there and not shop there. Um, but it's instead, I mean, we are so concerned about being right and not relinquishing our rights that we may be living in a way that others will look at and, and experience as unloving, uncaring, uh, even if we're right on the issue, it's not, it's not the point. That's that's what Paul's saying here. It's, it's not the point, um, that, all of these things I could have had, and it would have been completely appropriate for me to insist on, but I don't, I'm laying it down so that you will see me as a brother, a sister, a mother, a father caring for you, comforting you. Uh, and this principle really is all around. It's all, it's all over scripture, but it's just one, uh, example of dying to self. And I think that's what I don't, I think we, we sometimes misunderstand or, we can misunderstand what dying to self means uh, or we limit perhaps better said, we limit dying to self to mean 
I'm going to die to some sinful desire. When it might just mean I'm, I'm going to die to some desire that might be appropriate for me to have, but it isn't helpful for other people. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put that on the, on the altar and sacrifice that as a living sacrifice. Uh, and hopefully God uses that sacrifice to produce fruit, to demonstrate authenticity of love to whatever. Uh, but I'm going to die to that appropriate desire for a greater good. Uh, and it's hard. It's cost us something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think when I, when I hear you talk, it reminds me of um, the extra mile that Jesus talked about. Right. Like dying to self doesn't just mean putting away the desire to do something wrong. It can mean going the extra mile, which means at some point in time, I lay down my rights at the point of the mile. Because in that time, uh, a a Roman soldier could have, uh, by rights, said to a, a Roman citizen or a Jewish person, carry this pack, you know, and carry this pack for one mile. And so uh, the, the, the Jewish person would have had to carry the Roman soldiers pack for a mile. That's why Jesus says, someone asks you to carry a bag, go with them another mile. So at the end of the mile, by rights, they could have stopped. Mm-hmm. By yeah. rights, they could have put the bag down and said, I've fulfilled my duty. I fulfilled my right. But Jesus said, at the, that's the crucial point of the extra mile gospel is you die to that right and you go another mile. It's a, it's above and beyond grace. It's above and beyond love. It's, it's eye catching. It's, you know, the analogy may get old, but it's Chick-fil-A. It's, Hey, there's a hundred other places you can buy food from, but we're trying to go extra mile on the service. We're trying to go extra mile on the, on the, on the food and quality. But you know, nobody ever really walks away saying I had a terrible experience because if your meal's not right, you get one for free like that and maybe a gift card and people mm-hmm. are trying to go the extra mile and it stands out. Well, I think that's a, that's a really good point that it's, it really does touch on our current situation because here would have been a soldier, a, a state, somebody with state authority saying, you have to do this. Uh, and Jesus says, don't just go one mile, go with them too. Yeah. And what, so what is he saying really? And so I think it, if you, let's delve into that point, why go the extra mile? You're demonstrating, I didn't do this because you compelled me. I did it because I love you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Somebody asks you for your shirt, give them your coat too. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm not doing this because out of obligation or you're compelling me. I'm doing it out of love and care for you. And that is, okay, that sounds crazy. That sounds radical. That sounds, you know, it's a nice metaphor, but he didn't really actually mean that, did he? Uh, and I think that's, no, that's what, that's what he means is go the extra, go beyond what is, what would be what you're compelled to do. And in doing so, you show you're not doing it because you're compelled to do it. So whether the state compels me to wear a mask or not isn't even the point. Uh, what is going to be loving? What is going to be understood to be loving? Uh, and that's the question. And if uh, whatever answer you get is the answer that comes out of, I, I want to love and care for people. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. And I, I would say, I don't know if anyone's listening to this right now and we're making them mad. Um, 
But if so, I would just ask lovingly, why does this make you mad? Mm-hmm. Like what about, I mean, it's it, what we're saying is only done from a place of being transformed. It doesn't come from another place, which is sort of the point we started with is uh, either message came from not this elaborate theological argument, although their theology was sound, of course, and the teaching was sound, their mess, the foundation of their message was, we demonstrated love and care for you. We demonstrated a life of hope for you. That's, without that, nothing else matters. Uh, and I think that's the question for us. What demonstrates love and care for uh, our neighbors, for people around us, for whatever? And that will be countercultural. That will cost us something. That will require us to do something we don't want to do. That, in fact, will, will lead us in a direction that nobody has a right to claim from us, but we're not doing it because they have a right or don't have a right. Uh, I think that's kind of where we get hung up. Uh, I, do, I do think the, um, the rights-oriented... Uh, culture we live in is necessary in the political realm because we're fallen people. And sometimes we need to declare rights against. Yeah, those, those are there to protect um, vulnerable. Those are also there to protect against injustice. Like right. they're, they're not bad things. Right. 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 And it's like, it's the same thing that um, if you harmed me horribly, uh, you don't have a right uh, to expect forgiveness. Uh, if someone, you know, you've got to forgive me, you're a Christian. I could say, well, you don't have a right to mm-hmm. demand forgiveness, but we were commanded to forgive anyway, regardless of rights. And I think all love in some, at some point is going to cost me something or it's not deeply loving. It's just more of a superficial sort of thing. I mean, the test of love is uh, how much you're willing to pay to demonstrate it. Well, back to Sermon on the Mount, you know, uh, love those who love you. Who doesn't do that? Right. You know, and so Jesus says, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. These are all in that, that same kind of um, passage. And so, yeah, I think, even down to an um, relational, you know, moving from the the current cultural milieu to a, just a relational milieu of I, you've mistreated me. You know, I'm, a, you know, you're married or you're in a family or you're uh, in a relationship. You've hurt me, so I have a right now to, you know, punish you, criticize you, withhold kindness from you. I think we do that on an individual scale as well, like. I've been offended, so my, I, I'm going to exercise my right to either, it's eye for eye mentality, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is why Jesus said, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, you know, that makes the whole world go blind, I think was Gandhi, because that's the mentality of, you hurt me, I hurt you back, I get vengeance, and that's a, a example of, yeah, you don't, in the gospel, we don't have that right, we lay down that right. And on the altar. And that's where, when you said it's going to cost you something, it does, you know, forgiveness 
this is the really hard part about forgiveness. The offending party, it doesn't cost them anything, so to speak. They offend and then they need forgiveness. Did, wait, I didn't say that right. The offending party. Mm-hmm. All right. The offending party. The offended party, it costs you twice because mm-hmm. you get hurt and something is done or said to you that hurts you. So there's a cost. But then forgiveness is you have to pay the debt for the other person. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to do anything. So that's forgiveness costs ridiculous. You it is ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no wonder it's so hard to forgive because it is this extra mile thing. And outside of uh, outside of understanding our own forgiveness, how much we how much God has gone extra mile for us, we really truly can't uh, exercise that forgiveness for others. Well, and that's the snare. I think is that we are correct when we say that's ridiculous. Nobody, you know, can make me do that. Um, That's beyond, that's over the line. All of which are true, but all of which the gospel calls us to do. And I think that's the, you know, if you, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount carefully and honestly, it's demanding things of us that we can't do without divine transformation, intervention, strengthening fruit. And that's what Paul is saying to, uh, these uh, Thessalonians is like, I want to say Thessalonians. Uh, <laughs> it's because Bance kept saying that a lot yeah, the other day. Thessalonians. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he's saying the dem- you know, we demonstrated the truth of our message because this transformation that we demonstrated is of divine origin. It shows, it proves the truth of our, of this divine message. You can't explain it any other way. Uh, you know, going from city to city and just staying ahead of the people who are trying to kill you, you know, hiding. And, you know, there's a couple of times in, in scripture where Paul outlays all the, all the, you know, the shipwrecks and the beatings and the, you know, he was beaten once. He was stoned once outside of a city and they walked away thinking he was, they were leaving a dead man behind. Uh, and he lays there for a while and kind of, I'm sure, I don't know, he, he didn't kill him. Uh, <laughs> And so he's doing all this for the sake of others, for the sake, you know, nobody had a right to expect him to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't even the point. Um, but his doing that was some demonstration of the truth of the message uh, and how he treated them and how they loved them and how he gave up stuff for them. And as a father, who his own children, as a mother cares for uh, her, her little children and so on, they shared his, the, the, their life. And all of that is costly. And I think all of that is why it's so difficult to us, for us to do. And it's just so much easier to retreat into some sort of argument about who's right theologically or who's right politically or who's right and who's wrong. Uh, And sometimes those arguments are important and sometimes they need to take place, but they're not a substitute for living a transformed life in front of people. They're, They're almost always, and I agree with you, they're almost always insider arguments. And like you said, they're not bad to have. And if people have on the outside, if they are outsider questions and they're genuine questions, then we should answer them. And we should have a a thoughtful answer for that. But often the the most uh, effective answer uh, is again, a transformed life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, I think the tension we walk into today 
is that people are desperate for some type of genuine hope, but they're a hundred percent suspicious that anyone actually has it. Uh, because that's a good way of saying it. I think people are totally suspicious of if you display a little bit of hope. Yeah. You're going to have to do that for a long time or do it in a bigger way than you're, you know, that you might expect to uh, in order for people to really believe it because yeah, we're suspicious. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we were looking at that yesterday, just, you know, survey data of, of people responding to the church, responding to Christians, responding to the message. And, you know, they don't, they're not looking for our information or an articulate presentation of truth. They want to see us not be hypocrites. Yeah. yeah. Right. They care for our community and uh, be transformed. You know, there's a long, just like Paul is saying here, we are demonstrating this, as we're sharing it with you. And I think that's our, we live now in a world in which we're not looking for replacement information for the information we have. We're looking for, for reality. And I think what you said that people are doubt, doubt it, uh, is just a demonstration of like, it, is it really there? I mean, is anybody really genuine? Is anybody really, that's kind of where people are coming from. And so I think that's, it's, yeah, don't, don't do one nice thing for somebody and then expect them to, to buy the whole, uh, buy the whole thing. It's going to, it's going to take a while. It's probably going to cost you something. And, you know, you're going to probably have to endure their doubts. All of this stuff Paul is talking about, right? Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, really it's, you, you can't to get this, may, I don't know. Let me start over. Um, within the inner workings of motives for sharing the gospel and, and having evangelism, I think first and foremost, primarily it's more about you wrestling with God to bear the fruit of the spirit. Uh, because it's not about doing something to someone or um, I've got to leverage this relationship to get them to get on the inside. I, you know, I, I shared the story. I'm, I'm pretty sure Tammy would be okay with me sharing it, but Charlie Williams, uh, a man in the church used to do men's ministry and he wrote a series of letters and, uh, in the opening of the letters, um, it, it just talked about when he and his wife got married and moved into a house and they wanted to, uh, reach out to their neighbors. And he said to her, I want to do, relationship evangelism. And she just looked back at him and said, I don't, I just want to do relationships. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, that was, that's a brilliant nuance. The difference between those two. Yeah. Yeah. Is I'm not building relationships so that because people feel that people, people intuitively feel like, Hey, you have an agenda for me, but Paul encourages us with this passage to say, we just cared about you. Like a, like a mother doesn't, the baby can't perform for the mother, right? Mm-hmm. The mother just cares mm-hmm. and the father just gives love sacrificially. Um, uh, and so he's just saying, Hey, we just cared about you. And we just want you to know that it was a genuine care for you as people. Um, and I think that instills hope uh, in, in other people. It can. Yeah, I, it's, uh, 
so what we're describing, you know, sounds good, but it's impossible. And I think that's <laughs> one, of the, one of the points is, as you said, we need to work on our own to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As Paul Wright said, we need to work out our own transformation. Am I growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Are the fruits of the spirit? I have, do I have more peace? Uh, and that's the thing that I've got to actually be sort of have my eye on. Uh, and all of those things come from divine transformation. They come from being transformed by the gospel. Uh, and they're, they, they cost me something. You know, I have to lay down something in order to be transformed uh, by them. And then, then I have a fruit to live and demonstrate to others. And I do think that's, especially people you're in a longer term relationship with, that's what people respond to anyway. They respond to the fruit of your life more than, you know, the, your actual words, because you, you, the fruit of your life provide all the context and meaning for the words, right? I mean, when we look at a text, we're trained to look for context because context really determines meaning. Uh, and, our own transformed heart is the context for all, all that we say and do. Uh, and without that context, it will just seem out of place, right? It'll seem like a package we bought from Amazon and we opened it up and, you know, our piece came today, you know, it was delivered, you know, or whatever. It just doesn't yeah. matter how it works. Yeah. Uh, so that we just don't, we can't order it. Um, and there's no shortcut for that. There's no, and, and, and I think that's, it seems like we want to have something to show for our effort. And what we have to show is actually turns out to be our displaying less of us and more of him. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of a paradoxical thing. Uh, and, and sometimes we substitute correct argument or, you know, uh, a lot of activity for that transformation. Yeah. And, you know, it's, there's no, it's like I said, it's not a trick. It's a, it's a tricky business because it's, it's not like you can measure it exactly. Um, it's, it's not like you are working through, you know, seven steps to a fruitful heart. Uh, it's right. It's a lifelong thing. And sometimes you go backwards and. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. You really can just, uh, realize that you can't transform your own heart and then really you're just asking god to help you be good receptive soil for the seed that he's planted and uh, he he does the transforming and um like you said kind of it's our job to kind of get out of the way yeah and so that's where for me if i'm if i'm in that place then most of my let's say scripture reading is about my own heart and when I'm not in that place, I'm either reading the scripture and applying it in some abstract fashion or applying it to somebody else or applying it to the world, um, all of which can happen, of course. But if I'm not applying it to my own heart, I mean, that's what, that's what God's interested in, his word and his spirit transforming me. And that has to be job one for me. Uh, and it's kind of a, it's a tell for me when I'm thinking about other people or an abstraction, uh, or even the church, all of those things are, can be fine 
unless I'm doing it as a replacement for thinking about my own heart. And I just think that's so easy for us to do. We, we read scripture for a theology, for a doctrine, for an argument against something going on in our world, for whatever, instead of what, how does this speak to my own? How does it need to transform my own heart? Uh, and that's for me is a tell of where am I really coming from then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we have, uh, offended everyone probably. So (laughs) equally, maybe hopefully, uh, but it's offensive. It's the gospel is offensive, right? We want to think we can manage it and do it. And it's a thing that we a believe and then b do. And it's really fundamentally not that we do believe stuff. We do do stuff, but but, it has to sort of kill us first. It has to sort of, right. Slay us. And I think it has to show up in concrete, practical ways that I lay down my rights, not, Hey, I'm alone with God in a prayer time. And like, Oh, laying down my rights, like, okay. But then in relationship, like, with the with the family and the community and the world at large, how am I concretely laying down my rights? Right. It will result in being patient with this particular person or forgiving that particular person or uh, listening with care to another particular person. Uh, that will, that's all of that is something I can choose not to do pretty easily mm-hmm. and just and justify because mm-hmm. those people are wrong or those people are mean or those people are bad or whatever. And they don't have the right to demand that of me, but that's not the point. Uh, and so that's, I think, uh, I, you know, one of the things that we need to wrestle with that each individual believer, I think needs to wrestle with is to what extent is that true of me? And what, to what extent am I feeding off being right or exercising my rights. Not that those things are, you sometimes, I mean, you need to be right sometimes, and you do have rights. But if those are the point of our interactions with people, uh, then we're not doing what Paul is doing here among the, the, the Thessalonians. And we're not going to be demonstrating the gospel by a transformed heart. So um, we're going to leave it there. Uh, we're going to leave it in. Uh, with Paul's example. And uh, that's, I think, the question for us this week is, you know, how's your heart? Is your heart demonstrating hope? Is it demonstrating hope to the world around us? Uh, And if it isn't, then that's going to compromise what we do and what we say uh, more profoundly than we think. And if if it is, then we don't have to be experts in argumentation or theology or super articulate because our message is going to come through loud and clear. Uh, So we're going to leave you there. Uh, Have a great week. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church media productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.